Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Okay, so uh, this is a Vision Sunday, which I'm not really sure exactly what that means personally, uh, but it's what churches, churches do. No, I do know what it means. Um, and, and I have this like, I had this anxiety about trying to communicate everything to you well and trying to be this expert in what we're trying to do. Um, and, and the next three weeks are vital that you be here or at the very least you come and, or you podcast and listen to what we're trying to articulate. And so I know that I'm probably gonna say things that will bring more questions today. And this is not a formal, like normal sermon. It's more of a talk. So with that, I just wanna share um, some vision with you. The next two weeks, it's called Bring Life. That's our series. It's called Bring Life. And um, I really just wanna invite you into the journey. If you're new, um, the, the word journey is the most effective word to describe what we've been on as a church. We have been discovering who we are and what we are doing since we planted our church nearly eight years ago. And so I'm just bringing you into a conversation that our leaders have been having for the last six months about the next season of years as a church. And over the last six months, our leaders have gathered and we've been listening to what God's been saying to us as a church. And we've been trying to articulate the shifts and the desire that God has for this community um, to move forward. Um, and so we're gonna talk about house churches today and how we're gonna bring life to the city through house churches. You with me? Uh, yeah, let's get some, all right, cool. So even if you're not, would you just amuse me and lie? Um, God's full of grace and just kidding. <laughs> don't lie, don't lie. Um, so, but before we jump in, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do my best. I, I, I wanted to sit and sit on a stool and talk. There's no way I can do that. Um, it's just not possible with three cups of coffee. And, um, but I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to articulate what God's been doing and bring you into this bigger story that uh, is really just the beginning. So the stuff we've been working on Today really is the beginning of whatever this is going to be, but I need to kind of give you the backstory to get us in. Does that make sense? So let's just begin with this. Um, our vision is not for a church. Our vision is for a city. This is a, this is a massive difference. I meet with lots of church planners, so many, uh, that want to hear about our story, that are starting out church planning. And the, the number one thing I say to them is have a vision for a city, not for a church. Because a church is, that's too small of a vision. If I was here saying our vision is to raise all this money for a building, that is too small to me as, as a vision. So our, our vision is in Long Beach as it is in heaven. And it comes from this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And he says, um, when you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this idea of God's kingdom is the primary message of Christ. And it is what, sh this, this prayer is where we get this idea of in Long Beach as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, in Long Beach as it is in heaven. We wanna see God's kingdom, his reality, his way of life here in Long Beach as it is in heaven. We wanna see his reality and way of life in our lives in how we think, how we treat each other, how we interact, 
how we see the world, how we live and how we operate, how we choose to work and how we create relationships. We want to see his way of life in our relationships with each other, in our community, in our families, in our parenting, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, in our, with, in, in our relationships with our coworkers and f- neighbors. We want to see God's way of life become a reality in our workplaces in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the community, in our city of Long Beach. And it's funny because we say in Long Beach as it is in heaven and that, that's gonna be short-lived because we have Seal Beach here. How many of you are in Seal Beach? Yeah, see, we have Lakewood. Any Lakewood people? We have Newport and Costa Mesa. Newport, Costa Mesa. We have like Westminster. Anyone Westminster? Garden Grove. Like where else are we? Glendora. Glendora? Whoa, Glendora's in the house. We have like <laughs> Riverside, right? Or like Redlands is over. Yeah, we got Redlands is here. Where else? Stanton in the house. Where am I missing some that you guys? Norwalk. La, look at this. Downey, La Mirada. Where else? Placentia. My mom's in the house. Placentia, P-Town. What's up? <laughs> the Bay Area and back down. Cali is where we put the Mac down. Give me love. Come on. Anyone? <laughs> Mm, I knew it one day it would come. <laughs> so, so we want to, so, so what, I, what do I mean like vision? Well, this is the why behind the what that we do. So this is the why behind the what that we do at the church. So what, what do I mean by that? Well, this is the why behind why we gather on Sundays, why we worship, why we teach through scriptures, why we collect offering, why we give to the poor, why we do backpack drives for Franklin, why we do cleanups around this neighborhood, why we do laundry love in house churches, why we've done garden groups and community groups. It's why we go to Chihuahua, Mexico. It's why we plant churches. It's why we give money to relief in other places around the world. This is the why. Because we want to see his reign, his rule, his reality in our flesh. We want to taste it. We want to feel it. We want to experience it for ourselves. We want to ensure that the places that don't have his way of life, we go to those places and extend it. Are you with me? Are we preaching for vision? Yes, we are, brothers and sisters. I didn't see that coming out. I didn't see that in the script here. So this is the why. Everything we do is, is, is built around this concept and this idea, this vision that compels us forward. And, and so uh, this, I want to just invite you into the process of what every year it looks like at our church. So I love Rose Park. It says, Rose Park Roaster says, welcome to the process. How many of you know what I'm talking about? On the wall, welcome to the process. This is our process. Every year we come together as a church, as a staff, as an elder, and we just say, God, what are you doing? What, what, what are you calling us to? And that affects who we hire, how we spend our finances, which is a huge part of our stewardship as an organization. But most importantly, the greatest resource we have are you. People are the greatest resource of the church. And so we say, God, what do we want us to do? How do, how do you lead us? And so we put everything on the table. And sometimes he's like, hey, you, you, you need to go after the lost. So a couple of years ago, he's like, you need to start doing alpha and go eagerly after the lost. And if, if our church is not move, moving towards the lost or moving the lost people towards Jesus and we're not going to do it as a church. And so we started moving towards evangelism and we started Alpha and this is our, our, our we've done Alpha for two years. This will be our fifth round of Alpha, is that right? And we just want to, we want to give people uh, an invitation to meet Jesus because they need, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, last year, we hired Amy. Amy's in the house. Amy, will you stand up? This is our youth pastor. And Amy, if, I mean, 
if there's somebody I can brag upon in our church right now, it's Amy. And, and here's why, because I want to boast in the Lord. And this is what I see in Amy. We hired a youth pastor. We didn't have a lot of youth in our church at the time. We had a handful, maybe half a dozen. And we had this vision, let's go after the youth of our city. Let's go after the youth of our city. I, we weren't hiring a youth pastor to pastor garden kids. We were hiring someone that had a vision to say, every ch- youth in the city is under my parish. And they're going to do everything they can to go after. Amy has grown the youth ministry. It's significant. It's amazing. In one year, to see the growth, it's significant. Not just youth at the garden. She started wildlife here at Franklin. There's like 40 kids that come that are not Christian, that are going to be Christian because of wildlife, a young life program that's for middle school. And, and so our last year, we're like, we need to spend money to hire a person that will go after the, the city. That's what we do with our resources. Do you, are you with me? So sometimes it's like starting programs. Sometimes it's launching garden groups. Sometimes it's hiring somebody to go after the city. This year we hired a compassion director. We said we want to have someone that's resourcing our church to bring compassion to the city, to work with organizations, to uh, organize the greatest resource people to live on mission in our city. So that, that's where money goes. But the biggest shift is what's happened this year. It started in February. Now, before I talk about it, I just, I just gotta, I gotta give you three tensions, okay? Are you with me? Are you, are you feeling it? So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna give you what, what the three tensions that I've been holding as a pastor of this church. And we're gonna get into the scripture in just a moment. So those of you that are like, gosh, give me the Bible, Darren, give me the Bible. I'm gonna give you the Bible, relax. <laughs> Goodness gracious, just trust me. Trust me. And you only brought your phone and you're like, give me the Bible and all you have is your phone. Like, give me a break. Come on. I got mine here. It's open to the wrong text. But there it is. So tension number one, addition versus multiplication. So the contemporary church world, and, and most of you are, are unconcerned about this, but the contemporary church world is all about addition. And I work with, in the church, and I work with a lot of people that are in the church that are starting churches. I I work with a lot of church planners. They, they, I already mentioned this, but the dominant model in the United States is a church planner is to raise $150,000 to $300,000 of startup costs like, an, like a company and get a facility that fits a lot of people, spend lots of money on advertisement in the new location through flyers and Facebook, invest in sound equipment and children's programming so that they can gather people into a room and do this. Now, here's what you need to know. Statistically, of the United States population, let me say that one more time, 35% of the United States population will go to a gathering like this. 65% will never attend a gathering like this in the United States. So the industry of the church is built on reaching the 35%, not the 65%. And this 35% is all about addition. They're all about, in order to reach people, add services and grow your church, get a building, make it bigger, add lots of services. So this is what we did last year. We added a night service. And guess what? It was amazing. We got up to 100 people, new people. It was like, wow, we're growing as a church. This is what we're supposed to do. The location was amazing at Brasslump. It was such a gift. But guess what I realized in the process? It's addition. And, and there's nothing wrong with churches that are doing addition. I'm wrestling with this tension. Should the church rely, as a movement, rely on facilities, programming, $300,000 of startup costs, really talented communicators, and worship programming? Or should it be about the people? 
God started asking me this, like, are you sustaining, are you preparing your people for a move of God? Or even better yet, are you preparing the garden for what happens when your vision becomes reality? What happens when actually it is in Long Beach as it is in heaven? Or are you just trying to get people filled in the seats? I started wrestling with this tension. That addition feels good because you could say, oh, we got three services, we got four services, we got people in a room. But what are we doing with these people? And if, if our marker is attendance and tithe, I just, I can't settle with what the scriptures teach about this. So that's one tension. Are you with me? Like, and I felt like the Lord said, what if I showed up and there was revival? Would it be sustainable or is it dependent on your ability to do systems and pro- building and facilities? Because throughout history, movements within the church have always been empowered by ordinary men and women. It was always dependent on everyone, not just a few individuals. The second, so, so are we posturing our community in a way that we expect God to show up? Are we organizing the garden as a resource, you, in a way that's saying, no, we're preparing ourselves for the rain? Because the rain's coming, we gotta, we gotta get ready, because God's gonna, I just, he's about something. He's about, it's not about give to this project so we can build a bigger facility. Raise up my people and give them the church. So that when people flood, we know what to do. Are you with me? One tension. Multiplication versus addition. The second, how, here's a question. This has always haunted me. Okay, so just, you're into my personal life. The question number is the early church. Um, the, The historical movements. How did the early church grow from being a small movement to the most significant religious force in the Roman Empire in just two centuries? So quick facts. Stay with me. Here's some numbers. I love history. In AD 100, there, was, there were as few as 25,000 Christians. By AD 310, 200 years later, there were up to 20 million Christians. 20 million in 200 years. Now, remember this. Here are a couple of facts. They did this. They were outlawed religion, tolerated at best, and persecuted at worst. There were no church buildings. They didn't have scriptures during that time like we have the Bible. There were no professional form of leadership. There were no youth groups, worship bands, seminaries, commentaries, seeker-sensitive services, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Wi-Fi. How? How? Just stop. How did they do it? And and then the question, why do we think we can do it better? So, so that, just attention I hold. But it's not just, you're like, okay, Darren, that's the early church. Well, it's not just the early church. Almost every significant movement in history, apart from Pentecostal, although you could group parts of the Pentecostal movement in this, has similar findings. For example, just some, the greatest, one of the greatest American church movements outside of the Pentecostal movement was the Methodist movement. Check this out. In 1776, the Methodists were a tiny religious group with only 65 churches and 3,500 members scattered throughout the colonies. Within 75 years, there were 13,302 Methodist congregations with over 2.6 million members. It was the largest single denomination accounting for more than a third of all American church members in 75 years. Again, they did this without formal leadership, without uh, buildings, without seminaries, and they relied on unpaid amateur pastors and an empowering interdependent local congregation movement. Both historical movements had miraculous growth. Would you agree? And as a, as a guy who's part of this tradition in the church, I just wonder, this, this, this is a tension that I just hold. Are, 
I don't feel content just doing services. I just really want to see a move of God. And I, I can't make a move of God. We can't force a move of God, but we can posture our hearts and hands and lives for a move. Are you with me? So the last tension, and then we'll talk about house churches. We're doing good on time. Look at this. Um, someone asked me, this is a question, what does your church expect to see and experience on Sunday? And what is commanded of the church in the scriptures? So we took this little exercise, which started very, very casual with our staff and some of our elders. And we said, okay, what, what do we expect of church? What do you, ex-? so I'll just ask you before we put those up, what do you expect of a church? Just think about it for a second. You're like, okay, I'm thinking the word church means so many things to so many different people, but what do I expect to happen? And here's what we came up with. Here's the list. That at church there should be coffee, and during the summer there should be cold brew. There should be parking. There should be a parking attendant helping us. There should be great music. There should be a sound system. There should be a place for my kids. There's, there should be a projector with the lyrics on the screen and Bible on the screen. We don't expect us to bring our Bible. It should be on the screen. The next one, uh, it should be safe and clean. It should be a large group, a big enough group that I can not necessarily have to be, feel uh, 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 singled out. There should be a cool stage design. Um, <laughs> there should be comfortable seating. It should last for about an hour and a half. There should be about a 35-minute talk. I should feel good about myself, but a little bit of conviction. <laughs> Go to the next one, anonymity. Uh, there should be signage. I should be able to observe without commitment. I should be greeted. And when I'm not greeted, I'm pissed. <laughs> They're not welcoming. They don't value welcoming outsiders. There should be snacks, water available. It should start and end with worship. There should be a good website. There should be a buffet of ministries that fit my preference desires. Now, now these are expectations. I just, well, how do we know their expectations? Well, if we took away coffee, I, I mean, we got grumbles. People were upset that we had iced coffee. And then people were upset that we didn't have iced coffee the next week. And then LaCroix come from one week, and now we are entitled to LaCroix on Sunday. <laughs> And I'm just speaking for myself because that's, that's my jam. But like, if you do, like parents, if we got rid of kids ministry, there would, I was going to say there'd be groaning and moaning, but that was obvious. <laughs> right? If this, if this went on for two and a half hours in our, in our, our culture, not acceptable. If I preach for like two hours, not acceptable. You'd be bored. We don't even have an attention span. Like our attention span is like, Less than that of like a chicken or something like that, technically. It's like eight seconds, no joke. It went from 12 to eight seconds in seven years um, since the birth of the iPhone. Uh, it's, that's true, actually. That's fact. Uh, so expectations. And, and here's what I'm realizing. The church, most of the United States churches, and we are guilty of this, are so good at meeting expectations. And then the question is, but what is commanded? And so here's what we came up with. Just in our own time, and this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a, a, when we were doing this project, this is what we came up with. Check this out. So here's what's commanded of the lo- local church, that we should love one another. We should pr- there should be prayer. We should need, needs are met. It should be led by elders. It's commanded that we're led by the Spirit, that the place is filled with the Spirit, that we give account of our lives to God, that we're not judging others. We're giving generously locally and globally. We're bearing each other's burdens. Everyone brings a spiritual song. Hey, did you bring a spiritual song today? Did you, did you, br- you didn't bring it? 
You guys bring your spiritual song? Like, all right, come on. No, I know you did. Come on up. Now, we're not upset because we're not bearing each other's burdens. We're not upset because all the needs aren't met, but we are upset that we don't have iced coffee in the heat of the summer. Does anyone else feel like I'm taking a crazy, like, does anyone else feel like crazy right now? Like, how did we miss this? And do you see the tension? I'm not, it's not a condemnation. We've, I'm, I'm part of this problem. I am the major problem with this because I'm not expecting our church that everyone here uses their spiritual gifts. Well, that would be too hard. That would be, that would be, what? We have to organize the community in a way that everyone here uses their spiritual, no, let's just, let's just have them show up. I'm pretty good at preaching. I've gotten better over the years. Some of you have watched, you're like, amen, you have. They're like, we endured. We have suffered long enough. Praise the Lord, he answered our prayers. I heard uh, my friend Gare from Vintage Church. Uh, he's really, he was good friends with Tim Chaddock in Reality LA. He's like, I'm two bad sermons away from everyone going to Reality LA. That's what he thought. <laughs> We're called to live holy lives. Go to the next one. These are just the ones we can forgive one another. God's presence is there. We're ambassadors of Christ. Ministers of reconciliation preach the gospel. We make disciples of all nations. We forgive sins. We cast out demons and we heal the sick. Oh, there's more. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. There's unity. We belong to each other as one family. And so I just see that, and I'm like, this is, this is what I came. So these three tensions are wrestling with me. I'm wrestling with, and I just thought, man, we've been hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. It's like, we're, yes, we nailed it. It's awesome. And God's like, that's the target over there. Oh, whoa, coffee's not even on the list. Like, Oh, man. And so that's, that's what I'm feeling right now. And, and, and then I thought, man, it talks about giving an account, like being judged. Paul talks about this as leaders of the church. We'll be judged. What, what was built on Christ's foundation? Everything that's not on him will be burned up. And I just sat going, all right, Lord. <laughs> if I had to give an account, for the community, you guys that are here that call the garden home, that are gardeners, if I don't do everything I can to move us towards the other bullseye, then it's, it's not worth it to me. I'm willing to fail at going after this and being a fool to the American church to be obedient to the scriptures. So that's why we're moving directions. And it's a subtle shift, but it's massive. It's a massive shift because if I were to give an account for what we've been doing and everyone says it's super successful on all accounts, we're an urban church, we are diverse, we are young, we're led by millennials, we have uh, finances, we have money in the bank, we are doing everything on the world standards, but I see the other list and I'm like, we are so far away from the community that God is calling us. And this is the invitation to build the future church to offer an alternative. You see, the American church is obsessed with doing large things famously as fast as possible. But I believe God is calling us to build the radical alternative. You see, rather than criticizing, the best criticism of the, the failed church or the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. 
And so I want to invite you to practice the better. So go with me to Acts 2. I told you we were going to get to the Bible. And I, I talk about this text, but I just want you to, I want to paint a picture. Dan, what should house churches look like? Well, I'm going to show you what they look like. Acts 2, 42. I love hearing the pages flip in the air. It's just like delicious. I just see so many more paper Bibles right now. I'm not, I'm not shaming anyone else, all right? All of you on your iPads, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Hold it up, Zach, with, with power and love. And then all the Bible, the physical Bibles, let me just see them, because you know you're favored in the kingdom. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the break, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need in the moment. I added the moment. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts or public gatherings. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of everyone. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters, just imagine what it would look like to have this written about our church in this city. They continually pursued the scriptures of Jesus. Just fighting to, to follow the things that God said to them, the apostles' teachings. They were, they were devoted. They were continually pursuing a, a type of fa- covenantal family that just overwhelmed others. They, they just kept including others into their family. What used to be blood ties became something more significant. They, were just, they just were all family members. There were no this, us, or them. It was just us. It wasn't mine or yours, it was ours. They sold property and possessions. They made sure that everyone had enough food and rent paid. And whenever there wasn't food or rent, they would make sure that they would give enough. They would sacrifice the extras, vacations, second homes, third car, whatever, those hobbies, those expensive hobbies, to ensure there was enough food to eat and place live. What if they said that about us? That, that, that they were devoted, they were committed to prayer because they knew it's not about their vision, it's about God doing his thing. And, they, and then they were committed to breaking bread. They were, they were eating meals together because that was the sign, that was the beginning of heaven on earth was food shared and communion. I mean, that's, that's what do I see? That's what I see. Like, could we commit to somehow miraculously through the power of God saying this is what we're going after in our home churches? Like it's, God has to show up to make that reality. But this is the new normal. The new normal isn't showing up to church. The new normal isn't just giving a couple bucks or being a part of a a facilitating lead team of a, a group. It's being family, sharing resources, devoting ourselves to the scriptures, just saying, we gotta read scripture together. We gotta pray for each other. We gotta ensure that it's not two months later that you're telling me you can't afford rent. In the moment, I'm gonna sacrifice some things so I can prepare to pay your rent. My friend just told me in, in January, it's, he can barely make it to January, and my wife and I are like, what can we pull away so that we can prepare for when January comes in? I have to think twice. Like, this is the type of proactive community we need. This is the vision. It's just the scripture. We don't get to choose this, but we could say either we make it about coffee and signage and numbers of people in attendance, or that's the new marker. I'm so glad I'm not standing up here going, guys, this year we're gonna raise X amount of dollars for this great building. 
That's amazing, and that might be in our future. It might be, but you know what it is today? Let's do this. Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, man, I gotta, I gotta get to house churches. <laughs> Matthew 28, it's the last, so Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus as a rabbi. This is the last word of a rabbi. It would be the most significant teaching of Jesus according to rabbinic thought and practice. All authority, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 17. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of just some neighborhood friends. Go and make disciples where it's convenient and easy. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey just some of the stuff. Everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the earth. So the first thing is, it's God, Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. He's like, okay, it's, I got it all, now go. Under my authority, we talked about spiritual authority and the power of God and Christ's authority a couple weeks ago. Go everywhere you go, you're going to the nations. This thing, which is a bunch of basically hicks from Galilee, uneducated folks who, with no education, you're gonna go to the, the rest of the world and make little Christians, little Christs, disciple them. And not just that, you're gonna immerse them. You're gonna immerse them in this Trinitarian reality. You're gonna show them, you're gonna immerse them in a new experience of life, which is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you're gonna teach them to obey everything, everything. Not just like the cherry picking God, you know, oh, God has a plan for your life. One of prosperity, one to, there's a hope in the future, Jeremiah 29, 11. We love sharing that verse with people. He's got a plan for you. Do you have any idea the context of that text? That's 70 years of exile after they got defeated by their empire, like a, a worse empire. Their kids were killed. And he says, pray for the welfare of the place that you hate. And I, I, there, I plan to prosper you. You won't experience the prosperity your kids will. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. Stop using it out of context. That's just a little, little pastoral moment. <laughs> oh, welcome to the garden. We're so glad to crush your dreams. And... Um, this is so ref not refined. So where do we go? Where do we go? Well, I just, these are the two texts I'm holding. I just, I believe that we, we have to be a disciple-making community. That's the commission. So how are we doing on those things? I don't think we're doing great, but how, how do we get better? Well, here's, here's where house churches come in. We're moving from garden groups to house churches. We're moving from community groups to house churches because um, I believe that the vehicle to move us forward into seeing the renewal of all things in Long Beach as it is in heaven is the simplicity of a house church. It's getting um, the church back into the hands of the people. It's uh, the church has always flourished when it was empowered by ordinary people doing every ordinary things in Christ in their everyday life. And this radical alternative that God wants us to build, the word radical uh, comes from this Latin word radix, which means roots. And we're just getting back to the roots. Every church movement had organized around a multiplication of house churches or small groups. That's it. So we have to think movement and, and, and we have to think and organize around the things that God is about. So I believe the most authentic form of church is not this. This is what we've been sold this is what we've come to know and experience. Now, are we gonna get rid of Sundays? No. 
So when we're talking about house churches, we're talking about something else. I just want to convert all of us here to recognize that the most powerful expression of the church is found in a house church. The primary environment, a house church is the primary environment. Do I have this text? A house church is the primary environment for life in the kingdom and discipleship. It's the most authentic form of church. It's not found in an institutionalized, centralized gathering. It's found in the dynamic, organic, missional, small, mid-sized gathering of God's people. And from its inception, the church has always been best expressed in homes where followers of Jesus practice their faith and life together. So we're moving from garden groups to, to, to house churches. And in some ways, your best experiences in community groups, small groups, or garden groups have felt like house churches. And that's what you have to recognize, that you've some of you have experienced what it's like to have an Acts 2 moment. You were sharing resources. You have shared, you've, you've, you've experienced like faith and baptism and all these amazing things. And so, so some of us have experienced this, but most of us haven't. Most of us have only experienced this type of interaction of church where it's gathering on Sunday and it's, not, it's formal, it's a building, it's professional. It's not necessarily found here. So a house church, what we're saying is the place where we flourish as family and followers of Jesus, where we learn to grow intentionally as disciples, where we learn to use our gifts, where we become covenantal family on mission together, where we will share our resources and eat meals together. And so this is, this is where we're moving, is, is moving towards intentional house churches. So what does that mean practically? Here's some practical things. You guys with me? Okay, some of us. Now, I, I, I'm happy to get feedback and answer questions, but really the invitation is to just experiment with us this year. We don't have this figured out. This has been six months of prayer discernment, working with some that have already been doing house churches and trying to articulate the difference between groups that we've done in the past and the future of where we're going as a church. What I know is time-bound, interest-focused groups are not gonna produce disciples for the kingdom. But trying to model and replicate what you see in the scripture and New Testament will produce disciples for the kingdom. So number one, is this, our house churches, as we describe them, there's three things you need to know. Number one is that they will practice, will you put that up there for me? Um, they will, these are the values. I had another text. Number one, they will embody and practice the seven cultural values of the garden. So in two weeks, we're gonna start a series on our values as a church, okay? So we recognize that for some of you, this is new, but over the last seven years, you can keep that up. Over the last eight years as a church, we've been naming and articulating what makes the garden the garden. Why we do what it is we do. We have this vision, but what are our core values and how do we live these out together? So what we've done as a team is articulate our hope for every single one of you as a disciple, that you will grow in these seven cultural values, or you could even say kingdom essentials. And we're gonna teach through them. And then, so every, every house church will embody these values. We're hoping that every disciple at the garden will recognize what these values are and embody, embody these, these values. We hope every house church will not just embody these values, but practice them. Here are the seven. Number one is a life devoted to practicing the way of Jesus. This is one of our values. We're gonna do a year series on this one value at the end. Does that, does that sound cool? We're gonna reframe discipleship around this one. This is all about discipleship to Jesus. Number two is we wanna have a life rooted in the scriptures. Number three is we wanna be a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Number four is we want a life driven by compassionate mission. We want a life shared with loving family. We want a life committed to extravagant generosity and a life dedicated to abundant simplicity. So as a church organization, as a house church, and as disciples, we're creating an environment for these seven to be practiced. Now, this is a lot of new information. We're spending seven weeks talking about this. I will reiterate the emphasis because every single value has practices associated. It's not just something that we believe over here. It's something that makes itself into daily habits. Like how do we live empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, we gotta start praying and listening to his voice. How do we live a life rooted in scripture? Well, let's read the Bible together every day. So we'll create these very simple practices. Does that make sense? So what is a house church? Well, first, they're a place where these values are embodied and practiced together, right? Number two, they're organized around simple gatherings and structures. So number two, simple gatherings and structures. If we want this to be postured in a place that can replicate, we have to make it simple. It shouldn't be overly complex of what actually happens in a house church. It's not some mysterious thing that's gonna go on. Here's what we have. We have this simple structure that every house church will do these things simple. It'll be a place where people come together, we'll talk about the scripture, we'll read scripture together. We'll worship together, we'll pray together, we'll learn to be family in a covenantal community, and we'll eat meals together. Does that sound cool? Does that sound like really like smart and educated or just simple? Simple, it should be simple. So first is that these house churches will be places where we, where we embody the cultural value. Second, it's gonna be simple gatherings. So we can do this intentionally in a park. We can do this intentionally in a house and we can replicate it. Because number three, and this is what separates everything we've ever done in the past, is that every house church will multiply every year. And this is how the church grew, by the way, to be a movement from its early days to the Methodist movement. What we, what we see is this, um, and these numbers are in a perfect world, but this is what got my attention. Addition versus multiplication. We're starting this year, we've done in the past, we've had 40 community groups or 40 garden groups at one time. Okay, 40, that's a lot. We had a lot of people in our, in our, in our groups. We're only starting this year with 10 house churches. Every house church will have four pastors. Every house church to exist is expected to multiply within a year. Launch another house church. Why? Because we're called to reach the nations. We don't do that by celebrating the fact that we've been together in the same relationships for 10 years. I know people that do that. They celebrate, I've been in the same community group for 14 years. We're still going strong. That's never what Jesus intended. He never intended for you to think discipleship is you just talking about your sin issues over a cup of coffee with the same people for 50 years. But I saw this and I was like, wow, how amazing would this be? 2017, we launched 10 house churches. Next fall, 20, in a perfect world. Now, I'm disclaiming this. There's there's probably gonna be conflict with house church leaders. There's probably gonna be um, morality failure. This is just what, and I'm just anticipating this, so we're praying against these things. There's probably gonna be transition. People are gonna get jobs and move. So these numbers aren't perfect, but in a perfect world, this is where it goes. 10 house churches with 40 pastors. 20 house churches with 80 house church pastors. And look at 2019, 40 house churches and 160 pastors. Then you get to 2020. And think about this for a moment. There's less than, there's probably 300 people in this room. By 2020, we're saying we'll have 80 house churches 
and 320 pastors at the garden. We were have, we'll have a pastoral gathering this morning. Could you, like, what's more exciting to you? A room full of 300 people who might be discipling or 320 pastors discipling house churches? That's what gets me excited. But then it just gets crazy and you're like, this is nuts. Because the next year, it's 640 pastors, 160 house churches. And then it's 2020, 2022, so seven years from now, we're eight years old. We could be at 320 churches and 1,280 pastors. So when you ask me, as a pastor, who I don't, I don't care about trying to meet the expectations, but someone that's like, let's go after the right things, and this is the vehicle to go after the right things, and I see these numbers associated, I'm like, it's a no-brainer. Let's put everything on the table. Let's restructure everything to go after the things that Jesus is about. This is why we're doing house churches. House churches have three things. They'll embody our cultural values and practice them together. They'll have simple structure. and ga- Every gathering will be so simple. We're trying to make it so simple so that every single person in this room will one day be able to lead a house church. That's our hope. If we don't do that, then we're not making disciples of all nations. We're making it for the professionals. The third thing is that every house church has to multiply. Otherwise, it's not a house church by definition because the mission is too urgent and the mission is too big for us to be content with coffee, set up and tear down, and bigger facilities and addition. We need to go after multiplication. You with me? Okay. Answer a couple questions. Um, number one, is, is this just a fad? Is Darren ADD about life groups, community groups, garden groups? Well, I just want to say, I don't know how else to lead this church other than to be ruthlessly honest with what I'm hearing with God. Like, in my own life, my life is in chaos right now. We just had a three-month-old. Anyone have new kids? I have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. It's crazy. And somehow, in the midst of the last couple of months, God's telling, I feel like God's saying, sell your house and move back closer to the church. You bought this awesome house near the airport, and it doesn't make sense in this timing. It's the worst time to move for our family but we're doing it out of obedience. I have no other idea how to lead other than to hear God's voice and obey. So if it's ADD, okay, ADD. So, but I just wanna invite you to trust me. Not just me, trust all of our staff and elders who are on the same page unified about this. We're 100% in unity in this. We're willing to put everything on the table. So if, if you're like, I would just wanna do our community group still. Well, that's great, but you're not trusting the leadership. This is not Darren in a vacuum. This is like 20-something people who have been praying and asking God for six months plus to do this. What does this mean for us? We're choosing multiplication over addition. We're choosing to devote our church to creating an environment for discipleship and accomplish the Great Commission. We're going after the Great Commission as a church, whether you like it or not. We, uh, will we cancel Sundays? Let me just make sure, because I want to make sure you hear this. We're not stopping Sundays. We'll talk about how this fits into the scheme of things. Sundays, we're going to continue to do Sundays because we feel like um, God's given us this tool for our city. And we'll do this hybrid model of gathering people on Sundays and doing formal trainings, but trying to get every single person in house churches. And hopefully, eventually, house churches are outnumbering the people that will ever come here. And maybe we won't do this years from now, but for now, we'll do both, okay? Sound good? What did you hear? We're not canceling Sundays. 
We're not canceling Sundays. <laughs> we are restructuring a whole organization in, uh, around multiplying house churches. So every staff role and elder role is coming around this, just so you know. So everything's on the table. To belong to this is to participate. Membership at the garden, people ask, oh, what's our membership? It's participation. You want to be, belong to the garden? Give your entire life to Jesus and figure out how to build this with us. That's participation, right? Like, I was reading that actually in the first few years of the church, they made it really hard to join. It was a year process to, to belong to the church. And we make it so easy. Literally, you're like, yeah, just show up. You're, you're part of us. But we want, we want to just reclaim the robust faith in Christ with our whole life. That's what God's doing. Sounds like a revolution. Talk about revolution. Okay, so um, to, in order for us to fulfill this vision, God has to show up. So we're setting ourselves up for failure without God. I'd rather do that than make it something we can do on our own talent and strength. And lastly, house churches are, are missional. That's why they have to multiply. Okay, so that's it. That's, that's house church stuff as best as I can do. Here's what you can do today. Number one, join a house church. Today, online, go on our website. You can sign up for one of the 10 house churches. Become part of the family. Number two, begin to share your life. Share your heart, time, and resources with this new family. Like, I, I just, people are like, I don't have community here. Make community. Right now, if you don't have any friends in here, go and greet people and force them to hang out with you. I mean, that's, it should be that contagious, okay? So let's be family. Like, I have heard so many stories. This is amazing of how we're sharing resources. It is unbelievable. It's happening. Acts 2 is happening. I just want it to happen on a grand scale, okay? Three is uh, become a house church pastor this year. That'd be awesome. Like, we're just, what if there was like a waiting list, like, we're just like, sorry, dude, we, we've got like 60 signups, like 60 trained house church pastors. Like, I just feel like some of us are just sitting on the sidelines this year. And this is not the year to sideline. I just want to say that, like some of us, yes, God is saying, yep, this is a side, this, you got to rest this year. And I know God's saying that to some of you. But there's a lot of us where it's like, well, it's just not the season. It doesn't work with my family. I have a three-month-old three and a three-year-old. I already have a job in ministry and I'm saying I can't miss out on this first time because this is, this is like the founding fathers and mothers season of the future of our church. I have to do this. So my, my wife and I are leading one and it is super inconvenient. We're like, how do we bedtime? We, Ezra and our kid goes down at like seven. How on earth are we gonna do this? With, we're we're gonna sacrifice. We have to because community takes sacrifice. Family is not easy. Anyone have a family? Be, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. You'll hear all about this. This is the language of discipleship we'll use and apprenticeship to Jesus. And lastly, let's bring life. Garden Church, I want our reputation in the city to keep growing in the cities that you live in where whenever somebody sees you, they know there's something unique about you because you're just bringing life, God's way of life wherever you go. Joy, generosity. Um, bring life to everywhere you go, to everyone you meet, every day you live. We'll talk about that next week. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.